You can uh, just turn with me to Matthew 26, verse 14. Matthew 26, verse 14, and we'll be looking up to verse 25. Uh, And just as you turn there, I was thinking about this week. um, As you know, my two of my sisters are expecting their first kids. And so naturally, some of the conversations we've been having is just um, discussing various names. And there is a lot of names that, you know, have been tossed around and some for reasons such as uh, the fact that there are relatives uh, that they really enjoyed or liked uh, and they want to honor them by giving them the name. Some of it is just, uh, you know, maybe just it sounds nice or the meaning of the name is nice. Um, For some of them it's, uh, you know, a Bible character maybe that they appreciated the attributes that that person or the characteristics of that person and so those are just different names being tossed around. Uh, But I did find it interesting as we were just talking about names, how there are just certain names that you just cannot name your kid. There are just certain unwritten rules of the the off-limits of uh, of names you wouldn't give. For example, uh, there are just people that are just so closely associated with just terrible things or an act that is just so horrendous that you would just never think to uh, name your kid after that. For example, uh, Adolf. Uh, You just wouldn't name your kid after that. Uh, Jezebel. Saddam. These are just names that would not be obvious choices for someone to name their kid after. Uh, and among those, probably just as equally disliked would be the name Judas, which I find interesting because the name Judas actually means praise or the praised one. And yet, the first thing that people associate him with is being a betrayer, a hypocrite, a thief. And so today I want to look at what led up to this man who was once one of the original 12 disciples, being forever synonymous with the betrayal of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the life of Judas. How did he get to the point of betraying the Lord? And what can we learn from his life? Uh, So let's read uh, in Matthew 26, verse 14 through 25. Then one of the 12, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver, So from that time, he sought the opportunity to betray him. So on the first day of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go to the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Then evening had come. He sat down with the twelve. Now as they were eating, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful, and each one began to say to him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? And he said to him, you have said it. So, this is a snapshot of, uh, of an event in Judas's life um, where he is uh, essentially about to betray the Lord. And uh, I want to go back in time, though, and just look at the life of Judas. And just, you know, as we said, he, he was one of the original 12 disciples. We learned this early on in Luke 6 uh, of a time when Jesus went out and he chose his 12. 
It says in Luke 6, verse 12, Now it came to pass in those days that he, that is Jesus, went out to the mountain and prayed and continued an all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose his twelve, whom he would call his apostles. Simon, whom he also called Peter, Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon called the Zealot, and he received Judas, the son of James, or not this one, but Judas, the son of James, and the next one, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. Was it a surprise for Jesus to find out that Judas would betray him? Was it a surprise that Judas was not a genuine follower of Christ? No, it wasn't a surprise. He knew it from the very beginning. In fact, the Bible even tells us that much in John 6. As Jesus is speaking to a crowd mixed of you know, genuine believers, and then there's also people who are just following him for maybe the miracles or the food he provides, he says to the crowd, mixed of genuine and non-genuine non people, he says, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you, not also want to go, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them and said, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. And so the Bible, just looking at these two encounters, it's very clear that Judas did not believe as the rest of the disciples did. Judas was never, had never truly accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And Jesus, and Jesus knew this ahead of time. He knew ahead of time the intentions that Judas was a devil, that he was a betrayer, that he would ultimately turn his back on the Lord. It's also interesting to point out that it says in Luke 6 that Judas became a tra traitor. He wasn't born that way. He became it. You see, Judas had choices to make. Judas had free will, just like you and I do. He had the choice to either obey the Lord or to fall into sin and to forsake the Lord entirely. It was a decision he made. No one forced him to do it. No one uh, made him do it. He willingly did it, and he chose to betray him through his personal actions. But as I was, as I was uh, spending this week just researching the life of Judas and looking at uh, different things about him, it was just mind-boggling to think that he did the act, obviously, yes, but the fact of all that he would have witnessed, all that he would have uh, seen, experienced, all that he would have done as a disciple, and to then still do it. I, I thought, looking back on uh, the life of a disciple, Judas would have seen the blind regain their sight. He would have seen the crippled man pick up his bed and walk again. He would have witnessed all the miraculous signs of Jesus. He would have uh, seen the power of God over sickness, over death itself as he raised up Lazarus from the dead. He would have seen Jesus demonstrate power over the winds and the waves as he told it to calm. He would have seen him multiply the loaves of the bread and the fish, feeding thousands of people with that. And for three years, Judas witnessed the power of Jesus. He, see, he saw the omniscience of Jesus. He heard the words that he spoke to the crowds. He heard all that was being spoken. Um, 
He even saw Jesus live a perfect life, sinless, blameless. And uh, he watched him have even the power and authority to cast out demons. What's interesting, too, in fact, Judas was given this very power himself. In Matthew 10, we read that Jesus had given this power to his disciples to heal the diseases, heal sicknesses, and to cast out um, the possessed. It says, when he had called out his 12 disciples, he gave them the power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kind of sicknesses and all kind of disease. So not only was Judas a witness to Jesus' power, but Jesus had also given him the power uh, to command out demons, to heal sicknesses and diseases. Judas sat under that same authority of Jesus for three years. And throughout those three years, Jesus had demonstrated tremendous kindness and love to him. Even on one occasion, he washed his own feet. He sat down and brought all the disciples in. He washed them one by one, including Judas' feet just demonstrating tremendous love. And yet, despite all that kindness, despite that love, Judas still went forward with his betrayal. On top of all that, on top of what he's witnessed, on top of um, the power God had given him to to heal and to uh, cast out demons, Judas was also placed in a position of handling the finances. He was essentially the treasurer for the disciples. In John 12, verse 3 through 6, we read, that Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard. She anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with this fragrant oil. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said not, for, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. So Judas was given this position of handling the finances, And somewhere along the way, Judas became greedy. He began looking at the money that he was responsible for, and he thought, well, would anyone even know if I took a dollar, two dollars, five dollars? Who's going to know? And maybe initially he started off taking just a little bit for himself. And over time, I'm sure he started off small and probably began taking larger portions uh, for himself. And he probably thought, you know, how am I ever going to get caught? Who would ever find out? And the thing is that apparently none of the other disciples knew about his thievery. None of them knew that he was stealing, and it seems as though they were oblivious to it. And I think probably part of that is because, again, this is speculation, but I think probably part of that is that if he was ever to be caught or ever to be questioned, he probably would have a lie or some kind of way of covering up the track of where the money's been going to. He'd probably have a reason as to why it wasn't as high as it probably was earlier. Um, Maybe he would suggest that he gave it away to the poor, Um, But either way, the man was given this role by the Lord to manage the money, and he fell into sin because of the greed for money. The greed for wealth, worldly treasures, is what led him to steal and become a thief. But also this passage really just shows that Judas' priorities were all backwards. And it's backwards because of that desire for money. He saw Mary pouring out that bottle of fragrant oil on Jesus' And she began wiping, her, uh, wiping his feet with her hair. And as, he, she saw, as Judas saw him pour, her pouring out this bottle worth a year's wage, he considered it a complete waste. And he tried to cover up his reasoning by saying, well, it would have been better for charitable needs. But realistically, he was upset because the money that would have gone into that box would have been his profit. 
He could have taken 300 denarii for himself. Um, the Bible is very clear. He did not care for the poor. He was simply upset because he could have taken all of that money for himself. In essence, Judas was saying that Jesus was not worth Mary's worship, that he was not worthy of the sacrifice that she made to anoint his feet. The all-powerful Son of God, the one who is worthy of all of our praise and all of our adoration, the very Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, was not worthy of that kind of worship, was not worthy of that kind of costly sacrifice, at least according to Judas. And sadly, this was not just a one-time occurrence. We read just last week uh, that an unnamed woman, just a few days after, poured out a flask of oil on Jesus' head to anoint him for burial. And yet, once again, the disciples and no doubt Judas included in that mix, deemed that act a waste of money. You know, as I read those two stories back to back, there is just no doubt in my mind <clears throat> that the woman anointing Jesus' head and Judas betraying him for money are back to back in Matthew 6 for a reason. And I believe that the reason is because it highlights the stark contrast between the woman who practically gave it all for the Lord and Judas. The woman who gave him the best she could offer, a whole year's wage, to anoint his feet. The woman's actions demonstrate what she thinks about the Lord. It demonstrates how much she values him. To, to her, nothing was too good. To her, he was worth it all. She gave sacrificially because she thought he was worthy of it. She had seen his miracle, she had heard about what he had done, and she came to believe that he was who he says he was, as he is the Son of God. And based on that, she gave of her very best. That's such a stark contrast between her and Judas. Judas, on the other hand, had a hard time wrapping his mind around the value of who the Lord was. Judas evaluated her actions. He looked at it and he said, according to me, he's not worth that. That, to me, speaks very loudly of the priorities of where Judas's heart was at. The very next thing that we see uh, after this event is Judas... Uh, looking, off looking to betray Jesus. That's where our passage is today. In uh, verse 14, we read this morning, uh, then one of the disciples called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought the opportunity to betray him. And uh, I guess the first question I had as I was studying this passage was just, just why? Why, why did Judas want to betray Jesus? And while it ne doesn't necessarily give a clear indication, it is possible, um, as to reasoning for it, is that Judas had joined this group of disciples, seeing the following that Jesus had, and it's possible that he believed and somehow he could profit from it. Uh, you know, we've already read that he was stealing from the money box, and so certainly greed could play a factor into this. Uh, another factor may have been that uh, Judas, like many people at the time, thought the Messiah would overthrow the Romans and that he would set up his kingdom and he would rule over Israel. And maybe Judas thought that by maybe sticking around long enough, I could gain somehow some political power under him. And uh, as soon as it seems, though, that Jesus indicates that he would die and that he would be, uh, and that his goal was not necessarily this time to set up his kingdom, um, it seems as though Judas uh, is a bit disappointed. It seems as though maybe he was expecting a different kind of Messiah. 
And maybe after hearing these things from what Jesus was saying, that he's going to die, he's going to be crucified, maybe Judas thought, you know, I have no longer have any use for him. And maybe, that, maybe that's how he justified it. I'm not sure entirely. We'll never know. But uh, what we do know is that Judas, upon seeing everything he's seen after being a disciple for three years, intentionally, purposefully sought out the chief priests and religious leaders seeking a price for his betrayal. And they offered him 30 pieces of silver. And uh, Judas, looking at that offer, he said, you know what? Yeah, I'll take it. It's worth it. Judas betrayed Jesus for the price of a slave. I was trying to do the conversions to today and see just roughly what that was worth. Um, It's estimated that's about $200. He essentially thought Jesus was worth $200. The price of a slave, that's the money he thought he was worth betraying for. He was driven by greed and the desire to gain worldly wealth. And so... I don't want to go too much into the rest of the life of Judas because we'll have two more um, sessions on this, actually. But um, I do want to just look at, up to this point, what can we learn from the life of Judas? What are the takeaways? And there's at least four lessons, I believe, that we can take away from the life of Judas. Um, And the first one, I think, um, is very clear. The Bible gives us this warning in 1 Timothy 6. For the love of money is the root of all kind of evil. For which some have strayed away from the faith in their greediness and have pierced themselves through many sorrows. And while money in and of itself is not bad, Judas allowed his greed and the love of money to consume him. It took root in his heart and it became this driving force in his life that led him to ultimately stray away and betray the Lord. His love for money surpassed his love for the master. And it's no doubt that because of this love for money and this tendency that we as humans have for greed, that Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, for either will hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or money. Judas would have heard these very words. Jesus had spoken these to the crowds. So Judas would have been aware of these sayings. Judas would have been aware of the teachings of Jesus about money that God had issues warnings not to be lovers of money. And in the act of betraying Jesus, Judas was demonstrating that he loved money and hated Christ. He was fixed on accumulating temporary wealth all the while despising his creator. It's clear that Judas made his choice, and in turn, he rejected Christ. Judas uh, should have taken seriously the words that Jesus said in Mark 8. For what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world? and loses his own soul. No amount of money would ever be worth the terrible transaction that he made there, the terrible trade that he made that day. Judas loved the world so much, he clung to his money, that $200, 30 pieces of silver. And at the end of his life, guess what? He wasn't able to take any of that money with him to the grave. None of it came with it. This love for money ultimately was a sin that led to his demise. He desired riches, and at the end of his life, without going into too much of the rest of the other passages, he essentially cries out, what have I done? In remorse for what he has done. He exchanged his very own soul for a couple dollars. The takeaway from it, point one, basically, of lessons to learn from Judas is 
that greed and desire for worldly possessions leads to ruin. The second takeaway uh, that I got from Judas is that sin that is unconfessed or secret sin leads to a person's demise. Judas, as we said earlier, was this master of deception. He had fooled everyone, and this was a, a secret sin in his life. Apart from Jesus, no one knew what Judas was up to. He lived this double life of deceit, acting like he cared about the poor, all the while he used the money to make himself richer. Even during that very Passover feast, which I find very interesting, um, after he had just accepted that betrayal money, while it was probably still in his pocket, while it was fresh on his mind, thinking of an opportunity of how he would betray the Lord, Jesus makes that statement to his disciples saying, um, you know, that one of you will betray me. And the rest of the disciples didn't go, well, obviously it's Judas. It was, it was something that they all questioned among themselves. Is it I? Is it, could it be me? It wasn't clear to them that Judas was the one that was doing all these things behind the scenes. They had no idea. And Judas, uh, knowing what he had already planned in his heart, knowing that just before this, he had just gone to the chief priest, he tries to pretend as if he also innocently wonders upon himself, Rabbi, is it I? Could I be the betrayer? And Jesus responds to him essentially saying, yes, it is as you have said. Um, the, the, another version of this encounter takes place in John 13 that gives us a little bit more detail about what happens after Judas asks him this question. It says that essentially after he asks him, Lord, is it I? He says, yes. He then dips the bread and gives it to Judas. Um, and then it says, now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him, for some thought because Judas had the money box that Jesus said to him, buy those things we need for the feast. Or that he should give something to the poor, and having received the piece of bread, he went out immediately, and it was night. So again, it's clear from even this, this point on, uh, the disciples had no idea what Jesus was telling Judas. The disciples had no idea that he was a betrayer. They had no idea of the thievery that he was up to because apparently he was very good at covering up his tracks. He was a deceitful and disingenuous person. And as you can see, the sin that he initially started off with stealing just a little bit from the money box, and then maybe gradually more, led to ultimately him committing this sin of betraying the Lord. And I guess it just goes to show that sin that goes unconfessed leads to more and more sin. And the thing is that there is really, if you look at the whole entirety of Judas's life, there was no real evidence of any genuine repentance or any genuine change of heart on the part of Judas. There was a time where he may have felt some remorse or felt bad about what he had done, but he never forsook his sin. He never repented of it. Proverbs 28, 13 kind of summarizes this, this idea, and he says, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Judas never forsook his ways. Instead, he just tried to hide it, and he tried to live this double life, and that led to his downfall. Kind of in summary of, of Judas and what he's done and what he chose to do, Jesus offers these chilling words uh, about Judas where he says, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. 
essentially, Judas made his choice. God knew it in the beginning that he would do this, but Judas had that free will to do it. And because of his decision of all that he's done, it would have been better for that man to not have been born at all. So, secret sin, unconfessed sin, leads to ruin. Uh, the third thing that I want to take away, uh, more on a positive note than anything else, um, that we can learn is that God is true to his word and that his prophecies that he says will come to pass. Even though Judas committed these terrible acts of um, betrayal and just sin in general, um, God's word through it was proved to be accurate. Because in Psalm 41.9, David prophetically speaks of the betrayal of the Messiah. Uh, and, the, and the kind of um, traitorous uh, behavior that he would endure. Um, it says in Psalm 41.9, Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, whom I ate bread with, has lifted up his heel against me. And then additionally in Psalm 55 it says, For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it, nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion, my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. So we know that through this, Judas was that familiar friend. He was that companion, that acquaintance, one of his very own disciples who ate bread with him on that very Passover night. And on the night of his betrayal, Jesus, being aware of that decision, says in John 13, I do not speak concerning all of you, for I know whom I have chosen, but that scripture might be fulfilled. He who eats this bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. So that is a direct fulfillment of what it spoke of in Psalm 41 and in Psalm 55. Here we are seeing God allowing, um, or using essentially, uh, a sinful person who betrays him. And yet God is fulfilling scripture in the process of that. That God is allowing this to happen, and yet his word is coming to pass and, and it's validating the rest of what he says. And not only does he know that one of his close companions, Judas, would betray him, but he also speaks of in Zechariah about the predicted price of 30 pieces of silver. And sure enough, just earlier in this passage, we have that 30 pieces of silver offered. Um, and so I just, to me, it's just incredible that God used even this wicked act of betrayal to bring about um, his faithfulness in proving that his word is true. And also through this act, it led to ultimately him being crucified. And through the crucifixion by wicked people, he brought about salvation to this world. He brought about you know, hope. He brought about um, forgiveness of sins. And so it's, just, it's incredible that even despite all these wicked things that took place, God still used it for his glory and for his purposes. That even though Satan thought he was triumphing over this issue, um, God ultimately brought about um, the victory for all mankind. Um, the fourth thing that uh, I want to take away, or that I, I think we, it's pretty obvious actually to take away, um, is that just because someone outwardly appears to be a Christian, it does not mean that they are. A person could go to a church their whole life, they could participate in ministries, they could appear to be a believer, claim to know God, and yet never have a personal relationship with him. 
Judas is case in point of this. He had the rarest opportunity of all to be so closely associated with Jesus through three years, and yet there was no inward reality of a changed heart. There was no genuine proof of a changed life. While there was tons of head knowledge, there was eyewitness encounters with him, there was no reality inwardly. He never personally trusted in Christ. And in the process of betraying him, he abandoned all that he had been taught. Simply put, Judas was an apostate, a person who professes to know Christ, but then renounces their faith entirely. Judas was someone who was never saved in the first place. He was never truly following after the Lord, which is why I think the Lord uh, says this in Matthew 7, where it says, Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many, say to me on, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This is Judas. Judas had cast out demons. Judas had healed the sick. Um, and certainly he could say, Lord, Lord, have I not done all these things? Lord, Lord, have I not followed you for three years? Lord, Lord, have I not healed the sick? Have I not... Uh, been with you all these years. And yet, at the end of his life, Jesus could say to him, depart from me, I never knew you. Because his life was marked by lawlessness. His life was, was marked by not doing the will of the Father. He lived for this world, not for the Lord. Judas was not a true disciple of Jesus. And so, the application is that not everyone who goes to church, not everyone who participates, genuinely knows the Lord. For some of them, it's an outward show that they are just like Judas. But a true believer, for a true believer, there is an inward reality. A true believer does not turn their back on their beliefs. A true believer does not renounce their faith. A true believer is one who acknowledges their sin, they repent of their sin, and they go on to live a life that glorifies God because they realize all that he's done for them. They realize what he paid to uh, pardon them from their sins. And as a result also, for true believers, of having the Holy Spirit inside them, a believer continually wants to grow in their relationship with Christ. And so when a believer sees sin in their life, it bothers them. They realize that they have sinned against a holy God. And a genuine believer seeks forgiveness. They seek to restore that fellowship they broke. But you don't see any of that with Judas. And that's the distinguishing factor between a genuine believer and one who's not. And so, I just thought I'd end with this. I, I don't know today everyone's spiritual condition. Um, you know, like Judas, you may have professed to know Christ. And on a surface level, you might know about Jesus. But if, I just want to ask, but do you have a, a genuine, a real relationship with him? If you don't have a relationship with Jesus... Um, don't play any games any longer. Don't continue to live a double life all the while claiming to be a Christian. You know, Judas had fooled everyone, but God wasn't fooled. God was well aware of his sin. God was aware that he was not a true follower. If you don't have a real relationship with him or if you don't know where you stand, please talk with me or one of the other deacons or any of the elders. We'd love to talk with you. Um, 
I just, I just ask that if you don't know where you stand or if you don't truly know the Lord, uh, you're really not fooling anyone but yourself because God knows where you stand. He sees your heart. He knows who are his and who are not. If you haven't trusted in him, learn from the life of Judas and turn from your sin. Accept his free offer of salvation today and come to the saving knowledge of knowing and experiencing a life filled with joy and happiness unlike anything this world can offer. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we just thank you um, for your word. Lord, we thank you for um, just the truths in it. Lord, uh, even reading something uh, as discouraging at times as, as a, a life of Judas, Lord, we realize that there are, there are lessons that we can take away from it. And Lord, we pray that we would learn from it and learn it as an example of what not to do in life and, and how to best live for you. I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, that they would come to know you and place their faith in you. I just pray all these things in your name. Amen. Um, I thought in closing, I was just thinking about that verse, for what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and yet lost his own soul? Uh, I just thought about the life of Judas, and uh, it reminded me of the song uh, in the Red Book, number 329, and I just wanted to read the first verse, and then we can sing the last three, but... In uh, the red book, number 329, it says, If I gained the world but lost the Savior, were my life worth living for a day? Could my yearning heart find rest and comfort in the things that soon must pass away? If I gained the world but had no Savior, would my gain be worth the lifelong strife? Are all earthly pleasures worth comparing for a moment with a Christ-filled life?